was a beautiful song, a touching song. And it's amazing when you look at life from the Lord's perspective, He sees things totally different than we do, doesn't He? He knows what's best for us. He knows when it's best. He knows what to allow in our lives. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. And He's with us each and every day of our lives. So we're thankful for our Lord that never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's with us in the valleys. He's with us on the mountaintops. He's with us when we go through good times and bad. And we're very thankful. What a beautiful song. Thank you, Jenny, for that. Shall we open in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're our good shepherd. The Lord Jesus is our good shepherd, the one who gave his life for the sheep. And we just thank you that you have a different perspective for us, Lord. If we just trust in you and allow you to have your way, as we sang in that hymn this morning, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold, O more a being, absolute sway. And we pray that you will help us to trust you through everything we go through in life. Please hide me behind the cross, Lord. May you speak through your word. May the Holy Spirit have a message for everyone here today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but I love slogans. And you know, all the companies nowadays, they all have slogans. And some of them have jingles, too. And they stick in your mind, their slogan and, and the song, too. And has a nice, catchy tune to it. It reminds you of the product. And then you go out and buy that product. Well, one of my favorite all-time slogans is the slogan for Hebrew National Hot Dogs and Meat Company. Their slogan is, and you'll probably recognize it when I say it, we answer to a higher authority. Now, they're kosher, and of course, they're using that, and they're saying we're answering basically to a higher authority, so we can't put all these fillers and meat byproducts and all these things in it because we answer to a higher authority. But I was thinking as believers in Jesus Christ, all of us answer to a higher authority. Now, all of us have authorities in our lives that we have to obey. We have bosses, we have teachers, we have parents, we have uh, fire, you know, firefighters, police officers, first responders. We have to obey the laws of the land. But when it comes right down to it, our authority is from God. And we have to answer to him. And so the key is we are accountable to our God. And so everybody must answer to somebody sometime in your life. You know, whether you're the president of the United States and you have to answer to the American people to get reelected down all the way down the line in our country, everybody has to answer to someone. And, you know, sometimes the boss will come up to you and says, Dean, can I see you in my office? Now, that could either be a great thing or it could be you're in trouble. But whether it is, we have an accountability to the Lord. And one day, ultimately, every single one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he will review what we have done for him. And it says he will give us rewards for those things that we have done for him. Gold, silver, precious stones, those things that we did for the Lord in his name with a good motive, we will be rewarded for that. And anything that we didn't do well, that will be burned up like wood, hay and stubble, but then it will be all forgotten there and we will be with the Lord forever. But don't we want to have a good report from the Lord? Don't we want to give have a good accountability before the Lord? So when we stand before him, we have crowns 
that he gives us for what we do for him and we can present them at his feet. As the hymn writer says, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. And so it'd be beautiful if we have crowns to give to our Lord. The title of our message today is being accountable to God. And it is so very, very important in the Christian life. Someone once said, yes, I am under God. I live under his heavens. The nations are under his authority. My destiny is under his direction. My past is under his grace. My future is under his control. My cares are under his wing. And my sin is under his blood. And isn't that so exciting today as we sit here today, forgiven of our sins, it's all under the blood. All under the blood. And even though the Satan would love to bring up our past and he still tries to do it to discourage us and everything, we shall st- stand firm on the fact that we are forgiven, it's under the blood, and our accountability is to the Lord. Our text today is found in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, which I'll read in a second. Romans 14 and verse 12. Here Paul writing to the Romans says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. I'll have you notice that he says each of us. No one is exempt. From Billy Graham to anyone else, from the Apostle Paul to anyone else, to all the great men and women of the faith, down to us today, to every Ordinary, common believer, our accountability is to God and we'll have to give an account of ourselves to God. Not to our neighbor, not to our friends, not to our brothers and sisters or family members. He's talking about specifically to us that we are accountable to the Lord. It's true in the home, we're accountable to God for what we do and say. It's true at work. It's true at school. It's true out in the marketplace. It's true in every place. God observes what we do. He observes what we say and how we conduct ourselves and how we serve him. And we are accountable to him. The word accountable is defined as obligated to account for one's acts. Responsible, capable of being accounted for. Explainable. So today we're going to look at these three things. Number one, we're accountable for our words. We're accountable for our actions. And we're accountable for our talents, abilities, and gifts that he has given to us. You know, the word accountable is a pretty heavy word. Because when you're accountable to someone, it means you have to answer to them. You have to give an account. You have to say why you did it. It's a pretty heavy thing. And one of the heaviest verses on accountability on what our words say is found in Mark chapter 12 and verse 37. And if you really think about this, it's a tremendous responsibility. Mark chapter 12, verse 37. We might have the wrong one up there. I apologize. But the verse says this, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Imagine that. Every word, Jesus said, every idle word, you're accountable for it. And those words are powerful either for good or bad. And someone once said, or the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.25, he says, therefore, putting away lying, 
Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You know, if you're a Christian at work or in your school or whatever, you should have a reputation for telling the truth. They should say, Sophia always tells the truth. I know if I ask her something, she's going to say the truth. Brother Dave, he's an attorney. And even attorneys, right? (laughs) They have bad reputation. A little better than used car salesmen, right? But it's it's true. But as a Christian attorney, who tells the truth, who is honest. The same thing is true of all of us, whether we're younger or older, we should be those who speak the truth. The American Indians had an old expression is, a white man speaks with forked tongue. In other words, he didn't tell the truth. Sometimes they made an agreement with the Indians and they went back on it. Every agreement of man is always based on breaking it. They always break their agreements in the, in life. In Ephesians 4.29, it also says to us here where Paul writes, he says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So it's important that what we say. And that's why David, his prayer in Psalm 19 and verse 14 is so important. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Even if somebody else says and the world says, it's okay, you didn't say anything wrong. We know we said something wrong. If it's, if it's questionable at all, we shouldn't say it. We shouldn't. And we should be honest, straightforward, moral in all that we say and all that we do. Someone once said, I'm careful of the words I say to keep them soft and sweet. I never know from day to day which ones I may have to eat. (laughs) It's true. Sometimes we have to eat our words. Eat our words. That's an expression is we say something we're sorry for, we have to eat it. In other words, we have to acknowledge, I shouldn't have said that, please forgive me, or I said something and I shouldn't have said it in that tone, that way. Sometimes we have to eat our words. And so if we choose our words carefully, we won't have to eat them that way. You know, in in the old days when we used to send letters, we don't send letters anymore, do we? It's all email, text messages, uh, Twitter, Facebook, social media, everything like that. I don't know too many people nowadays who actually sit down and, and actually write a letter, but at the end of the letter, they used to always sign it sincerely. Well, did you ever know where that word came from? It came from the old days when they used to have car, uh, people that used to work, they were uh, working with wax. And so they were sculptors. And when there was a problem with the wax, with the figure, they used wax to fill it in to cover up the mistakes. Like in some way, if they were doing a, a, a sculptor of a, of a nose, they would put the wax in to cover up the, the error, the flawless, the flaw in the work. And so wax was commonly used to conceal those defects. And so when you say sincerely, it means without wax. In other words, our words should be sincere so we don't have to cover them up and try to make an excuse for the words that we use. So that's the first point this morning is we are accountable to God for our words and it's the like the Lord is listening to everything we say and he knows what we say and we should be accountable. Secondly, we should be accountable for our actions. 
Now, when I think of somebody in the Old Testament that was accountable for his actions to God, I think of Joseph. Remember when Joseph was, high, was brought in by Potiphar? He was brought in as a slave and, and the Lord blessed him and he was over the whole household of Potiphar. And day by day, Potiphar's wife kept trying to get him to lie with her. It says that in the scriptures. And it says in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 9, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He realized that his behavior, his conduct, he was accountable to God for it first. And that's what we should always remember on anything that we do is that we're accountable to him first. Yes, we have to obey the laws and do all those things that I mentioned, but our accountability is to the Lord. And Joseph could have justified it well. He says, I've been sold into slavery by my brothers and I'm here in this place, in this foreign land. God must have forsaken me. I'm just going to go ahead and go with the flow. No, he said, I can't do this great wickedness, great wickedness and sin against God because he knew he was ultimately accountable to God. And we are accountable. And we're not only accountable to God, we're accountable to our elders as well and other human authorities, as I mentioned. But our chief accountability, our main accountability is to God. The story is told of Daniel Webster, who was a great statesman and orator back in the days when Abraham Lincoln was, was alive in those days. And one day they came to him and they said, Mr. Webster, what is the most sobering, searching thought that you've ever had enter into your mind? Without hesitancy, he answered it this way, my personal accountability to God. Here was a man who was a politician, a statesman, a good man. He worked hard. He served his country. But he says, my accountability goes beyond to the people, beyond my political party. My main accountability is to God. And that should influence the way we work at work, the way we do our dealings with people, and the way we go to school and study for our tests and things like that is because we are accountable to God. He is the one we want to please and we want to serve. So it's very easy for us to blame other people for our sins, blame other people for our mistakes, blame other people for our failures and weaknesses. And yet Paul says in his Word in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, our text today. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. There was a story of a man named James Fantroy, who in February of 2008 was convicted of stealing $20,000 of government grants while he served as a city council member in Dallas, Texas. Because Fantroy had kidney cancer and used a wheelchair, U.S. District Judge Ed Kincaid told him he could choose between serving a month in prison or apologizing for what he had done. He told the judge, I'll take the prison sentence. Some people are so stubborn 
and so proud as to not want to even admit that they did anything wrong. And so he didn't even want to do it. Even in his weakened condition, in a wheelchair, with his condition of his kidney problems and kidney cancer, he wouldn't bend his neck down and say, please forgive me, I was wrong, I shouldn't have stolen that money. He wouldn't do it. It's so sad. People don't realize that their accountability is to God. People think they can get away with things, don't they? And they think, I got away with it. It's, it's, uh, nobody will find out. Nobody's found out. But now with all the DNA things they have now, people can be found out to be criminals years and years and years afterwards because they match the DNA. It was fascinating. I was listening to 60 Minutes and how they caught this, this uh, man here in California for what he had done years and years before. And they matched his DNA to it. They arrested him. It's amazing. And if man can do that, what about God? He knows everything. And everyone will have to stand before God. Everyone. And of course, the story is told of four high school boys. And I like this story. You remember that movie they had? I never watched it, but I saw like previews and things on it. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Well, it was a day off because he didn't want, he took it off, right? He was supposed to be in school. Well, this is the story of these four boys the same way. They were so stricken by spring fever that they wanted, they decided that they would take the morning classes off and not go to school, but they'd go to school in the afternoon. So there they were after lunch, they showed up in school. And as they showed up in school, that they came into the class and Much to their relief, they saw the teacher smiling and she said to them, well, you missed a quiz this morning, so take out a piece of paper, take out a pencil, and I'm going to ask you a few questions. So as they settled down in their desk, she said, first question, which tire was flat? Because they had, they had said the reason they were late was because the, 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 car had a flat tire. Well, can you imagine four boys? One said you could, and if you put them in four different rooms, one say it was the, it was the passenger, front passenger uh, tire. The other one said, no, it was the rear, the rear uh, driver's side. You know, they would all have different answers because when you lie, you have to cover up that lie. And it's amazing. And so they were accountable to the teacher and that teacher was so smart. So which tire was flat? Which one of them was it? She knew them very well. In 1 Peter 4.17, it says, For judgment, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Yes, it's an amazing thing. The example to be accountable to the Lord. There's an example in Scripture in the Old Testament second book of Kings, where they were repairing the temple and they had workmen there to fix up all the things because the temple had become in disarray and they had not taken care of it. So they had the people come in, the repairmen, and they were having the people collect the money to then give to the repairmen. And it says of them in Second Kings 12, verses 14 and 15, but they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Verse 15, moreover, they did not require an account from the men whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. You know, if somebody is so faithful, you don't even need to check up on them. You don't even need it. You don't need to follow up because you know if you say, if they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. 
That's faithfulness. And so God wants us to be faithful he, because we are accountable first and foremost to him. Someone once said this man was he met a, a, another man who is a switchman. And he says, yours must be a very responsible position. And the, the traveler said to the switchman who had charge of switches for five lines of, that converged together. That was a big responsibility. Yes, was his reply, but it's nothing compared to yours as a Christian. And wow, isn't that true? We as Christians have the, we answer to a higher authority, as we said. We answer to God and we are accountable to him. And then not only are we accountable for our words and not only are we accountable for our actions, but we're accountable for everything God has given to us. Every gift, every talent, and every ability has been given to us by God. It's amazing in our little church here how many people have musical talent. You see it in the choir. You see it in the youth choir. You see it in the kids' choir. You see it in the soloists. You see it everywhere. You see, some people in our church have artistic talent. And I never had that before. I was never good in art at all. That's not my, not my ability. But people like Ari, Jim, Jim Wilson has beautiful artistic talent and others in the church. You know who has a lot of artistic talent for his age is Colin. He draws the most beautiful things. And sometimes you look on Facebook, you, you can see what he drew. You say, he did that? This little boy drew that? Yes. And these are God-given talents and God-given gifts that he gives to us. And he gives us spiritual gifts to serve him with. And he doesn't want us to take those gifts and bury them. Like it says in the story of the talents, there was two men that went out and traded and got more talent. But there was one who buried his talent in the ground. And then in another parable, it says there was one who buried it in a napkin. No, God wants us to use what he's given to us and not minimize it because whatever gift God gives you, he's going to use you in that way. And he's given it specifically to you. And he's given it specifically to me. Sometimes he may give us one spiritual gift. Other times he may give us more spiritual gifts. You may have one ministry. You may have many ministries. But we're accountable to God for those ministries, for everything that we do for him. We had the memory verse. It's actually Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. We're going to save it for next week because we ran a little long today. But it says this in Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in, in the least is unjust also in much. There's a spiritual principle. If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be able to be faithful in the bigger things. If you're faithful in the few things that God gives you to do, he's going to give you more. And you're going to have more responsibility and more ministries and more blessings. But God looks at our hearts and he wants us to be accountable to him. There was a man named S.D. Gordon who says, we have nothing to do with how much ability we've got or how little, but what, but what we do with it, that's what's important. And that's true, too, isn't it? We can't be the ones to say, well, why do I have so little and somebody else seems to have so much? It doesn't matter. It's what you do with what you have. It may be little. It may be much. That's what counts. And he goes on to say the man with great talent is apt to be puffed up because he has the more talent. And the man with the little talent 
may belittle his little talent. Poor fools, he says. God gives it, whether much or little. Our part is to be faithful and do our level best to serve with everything he's given us and that the Holy Spirit can use us for his glory. You know, God has given us talents. He's given us gifts. He's given us abilities. And so he wants us to be accountable to him for what we have. We can't say, well, why can't I preach? Why can't I sing? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? We should say, Lord, what you've given me, I humbly accept it. Let me use it for your glory. And when we do that, he will bless us so much and the people that we minister to will be blessed as well. So important. And so you want to be a teacher? James has an answer for you in James chapter 3 and verse 1. Because the teacher is one who's responsible and accountable for not only himself or herself, but for who they're teaching. And that's why it says in James 3, 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive what? A stricter judgment. Remembering back to that phrase where Hebrew National says we answer to a higher authority. Well, there's a stricter judgment if you're a teacher. I think about Sylvia, who's taught the word for so many years. They have a Bible class every Monday night and she brings the word. She takes that ministry so seriously. She prepares it and she prepares it so long and she and Shelly helps her and they go through all the things and they get it all ready to go because she considers how important it is to, and, and how much of a privilege it is to teach the word of God. Same thing with Adel, other preachers that we have, teachers that we have. They consider it so important. Billy Graham used to always say how much he prayed before he'd go out on those crusades because he needed the Spirit of God to work in people's lives to bring them to Christ. And think how many got saved as a result of his ministry because he was faithful and he was accountable to God. And elders, elders are even more accountable too. It says in Hebrews 13 and verse 17, these words, Obey those who rule over you. That's our part. And be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must do what? Give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So if we want to really make Adel's day, we want to really make him happy, we should be obedient and we should be submissive. And when we do that, he is blessed because he's going to have to give an account for us. And so if we do bad things, it reflects on him and it says it's not going to be profitable for us. So may God help us to be accountable to the Lord first and then it will cause the elders and all the pastors and teachers over us to be encouraged as well. I don't think there's any greater joy for an elder or for a teacher to see the people following the word and growing and honoring God. And Sylvia and Adel, they pray for us every day. And I'm thankful for that. I feel their prayers. I'm sure you do as well. They pray for you specifically and they ask God to grow you in your faith and teach you and use you and help you in every way. And so may God help us to remember today in this message that we answer to a higher authority. Our accountability is to God. Whether you're a homemaker a small business owner, somebody out working in the business world, a teacher, whatever you are, whatever you do, you're accountable to God. And when you realize that, it's such a heavy responsibility. And as we had 
heard from Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We're accountable for our words. We're accountable for our actions. And we're accountable for every gift and talent and ability that God has given us. Wouldn't it be sad if one day we get to heaven and the Lord said, well, I gave you a talent in this area. Why didn't you use it? Well, Lord, I I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. Well, the Lord said you lost out on all these blessings you could have had if you would have just used that that gift that I gave you, that talent that I gave you, that ability that I gave you, you would have been so much more fruitful and and blessed. But doing it on your own, trying to to force the, the square peg into the round hole that doesn't ever fit, it doesn't work. We have to go with what God gives us and then he holds us accountable for it. And his standards are like way high. The world's standards are way low and we have to answer to the Lord. Each of us is unique. Just like we have a unique DNA, we have unique ministries, we have unique lifestyle, life, talents, gifts, and abilities, and God wants to use us. And if we use everything he's given us, he will bless us tremendously. So may the Lord encourage us today to remember that we are accountable to him. So whether you go to work, go to school, wherever you go, their main accountability to remember is the Lord. Now, sure, you have to please your boss, otherwise you won't have a job. You have to show up on time and do a good job. Uh, If you're in school, if you want to get good grades, you have to work hard for it. We're responsible. We're accountable to the teachers and the administrators of the schools. And I love the fact that we have so many kids in in our church that are homeschooled. So encouraging. I wish they had that when I was growing up because I don't ever remember having it, but I'm sure they started it and now they have it. And it's really good. And the kids are learning and they're learning better than they would in the public schools because they're learning God's word too, as well as all the subjects. And I see what Natalie does with her kids and all the mothers and, and, and um, that are teaching their kids. And it's such a blessing, such a blessing. One of the most famous homeschooled athletes is Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow was homeschooled all the way through, and then he went to the University of Florida, became a great athlete and a professional football player, and now he's playing professional baseball. And it's amazing, his talent, his ability, gives him an opportunity to share Christ, and he is bold for the Lord, and praise God for that. Help May the Lord help us to, to be accountable to God and to know that he hears every word we say, sees everything we do, and knows whether we're pleasing him or not. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have saved us. You sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as Savior today, that they will come to the cross, that they will acknowledge and admit their sin, and ask you to forgive them. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price for our sins on the cross and all we have to do is believe and trust in you and receive you and repent of our sins. And we pray that there wouldn't be anyone leave this building today without having Christ in their hearts because, Lord, you could come at any time and we could go home at any time. And so we just pray that every soul will be saved. And so, Father, we thank you for this word. Touch us. Challenge us, encourage us by your word today, we pray in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.